Mindfulness Mode 283. And I think that's the cancer in today's society. I think a lot of the the anger and the, the violence comes from this thought that you're not good. You have to hide who you are. Hey, Mindful Tribe, you're listening to Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Thanks for joining me today. As you know, 2017 is almost history, and we're about to move into a brand new year, a brand new year with mindfulness and our show helping you to be more mindful. And being mindful will help you achieve more and be more grounded And that reminds me of my last episode with a guy I would call completely grounded. Dave Lucas has a powerful grip on mindfulness. And in case you missed the episode, check out Dave on mindfulnessmode.com slash 282. Today, I'm bringing you a discussion about integrity as it relates to mindfulness. This interview is with a man who called himself a slightly crazed drill sergeant. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode on Mindfulness Mode. Hey, Mindful Tribe, we have an awesome guest here today. You are going to be so impressed, but first I'm going to say this. Hey, Rob, are you in Mindfulness Mode? Completely and utterly. That is fantastic. Rob Kandel is a master at empowering people just like you and just like me to be the most authentic we can possibly be. He's all about honesty and about truly being genuine. He's a winning teacher, coach, and speaker, bringing his highly rated skills together in his podcast called Tough Love. Now, in the past, Robert co-founded a mega successful business called One Taste. And in that business, he brought conscious sexuality to the mainstream market. So imagine that undertaking. So Robert, we have a lot to talk about. This is going to be exciting. What does mindfulness mean to you, Robert? Mindfulness means uh, being in connection with all aspects of yourself. Uh, We often pay attention to one part, the brain or the heart or the soul. Um, we and to me, mindfulness is when you get all aspects of yourself in line, connected, and working together t- to pursue the most optimal goals. To be in connection with yourself, to listen, to not shun the heart or shun the soul or shun the spirit, to bring that forth into a combined kind of altruistic way to approach life and approach situations. And Rob, you've done a lot of work with men. And I know through your business, One Taste, you were Mm. working, doing a lot of coaching, training with men. Does the definition of mindfulness change, do you think, from men to women? I think not so much the definition per se changes, but I do see the way, uh, the protocol, the, the implementation is very different between men and women. And what are some of those differences that you see? Um, there's a lot of um, language around this. And uh, the first thing I want to say is I'm going to change from men and women to masculine and feminine. Okay. One, just an important, uh, a small, it's a pretty important difference, actually, not even that small, because I know a lot of men who have uh, more feminine aspects. And I know a lot of women who have more masculine. So I'll, just so everyone has a ratio of masculine and feminine inside of them. 
So the masculine tends to move, communicate towards progress and forward motion and creation. The, the, the communication is to produce an outcome, to move the box from point A to point B, to sell the stock or to build the widget. That's how ten masculine tends to move. And so their mindfulness is a connection inside of themselves so they can uh, produce the feminine tends to communicate and tends to move more for connection uh, and for exploration. It's more a seeking quality rather than an end result. So the masculine wants to complete a cycle. The feminine tends to like to open up things and create things and explore new things. Right, right. Well, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, with all your work with men and uh, sexuality, you know, this whole the whole scene is changing so much and it feels like sometimes as a man, it's kind of like, okay, how am I supposed to be? You know, am I supposed to be like so vulnerable? Mm -hmm. Am I supposed to be this tough guy? And do I change depending on who I'm hanging out with and what crowd I'm with? And, you know, all these questions. And so what do you say to that? How do we deal with being a man in 2017? Well, first to know that the world is very confusing for you and just to acknowledge it. Uh, I think yeah. one of the major issues that men face in the world today is they feel like they're the only one with this question or this issue. They don't know who they should be in the world. I call it terminal uniqueness uh, that we think we're the only person with this situation. And just know across the world uh, things are getting more difficult and more challenging for men just for exactly what you said is because things are changing. We're seeing socioeconomic changes. Uh, women's pay grade has increased. It went from 64 cents in the 1980s. Mm. And now millennial women uh, getting jobs are at 94 cents uh, compared to a man on average. So the pay, you know, where was this definitive role around economics? Women are saying, I don't necessarily need to be with a man. I have choice. People are getting married later. People are having kids later. And so there's this whole epic evolution that's happening, and men are totally confused. Your podcast is called Tough Love. Tell us about that. Why did you want to call it Tough Love? And what's that aspect of love that you feel we should be so tough about? Uh, just so you know, it's tough, T-U-F-F, not T-O-U-G-H. Um, this is a nod to The Outsiders, a book when I was a kid. Um, so uh, what it means is tough is connected. And tough, T-O-U-G-H, is rough. That was what it was defined as. And so for me, the definition of tough love is the love, the truth, the thing you don't necessarily want to hear. It might even sting when it enters your body or enters into your soul or your consciousness. It actually might hurt. You might feel ego death. You might feel embarrassed. But eventually it feels like, oh, my God, someone told me the truth. I feel relief. There's relief after that initial resistance. And my viewpoint is that we are trained to be liars in today's society. We're taught to withhold. We're told to sugarcoat and white lie. And because of that, people aren't being authentic with each other. And we're actually uh, withholding who we are, the most beautiful part of who we are. So my podcast is my coaching style, which is my lifestyle. It's like I give tough love. I tell people the truth when, you know, after I build rapport and after I have permission. But I, I tell people the thing that they may not necessarily want to hear, but it's a thing that I feel their soul needs to hear to have them move to the next level. 
Right, right. Well, let's talk more about being authentic, because being authentic is something that we, you know, we all want to be. Well, I think most of us want to be authentic, but, you know, getting to the bottom of that honesty, you know, I think I'm being honest. And then tomorrow I discover, well, maybe I wasn't being as honest as I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And that whole, that whole area of honesty sometimes seems confusing. How can we make sure we're totally being honest with ourselves? Well, I think that's where mindfulness really comes into because your heart might be hiding something from your brain. You know, your brain might not want to see something. Your ego might not want to do that. And so the first step, just like you said, is to be honest with yourself, to sit. And a lot of times uh, I'll know something is off inside of me. I'll feel like this little twinge of uncomfortable or unbalanced. And I'll say to myself, I'll actually say these words, Rob, what's bothering you? Like I'll actually self-coach myself to pull that truth that's, that I, my consciousness can't see. Then I also have a therapist, an amazing man, who's helped me uh, move a lot of things from the shadow into my consciousness. I have a fiance uh, who tells me the truth. Like she's, she's authentically honest in the ways that I impact her and the ways I can do things better. And then I really invite uh, to my close friends, you know, please, you know, reflect back to me what you see. And that to me is the most important thing is because it's very hard to see your own shadow but to have other people reflect back to you is is really important. Rob, I want to go back to your childhood when you were a young kid around eight or nine. Mm-hmm. How did you see yourself? How did you see the world? Can you share a story about your life when you were around that age that might give a glimpse into why you are the man you are today? <laughs> um, well, I was an overweight kid from, uh, you know, from very young. Uh, my father was overweight too, so I think there's a tie-in is there. My I was closer to my mom, and my dad was a workaholic. Uh, he built an accounting firm up in the 1970s and 80s. Uh, when I was seven or eight, it was 1977 or 1978. I was deeply uh, connected to food, and uh, food was my comfort. And my mom was going through a huge transformation. Uh, she was born in 1940s, and she was born and raised to be a housewife and a mother. That was kind of her sole purpose. And then when I was seven, uh, she said, hmm, maybe there's something more out there. Like, I'm not gratified. And so my mom did me the greatest gift is that she got out of her status quo. She went back to school. She got her nursing degree, got her master's degree. And uh, it was hard for me because I was uh, felt slightly abandoned, but also showed to me to, to go out of that status quo, to follow that little voice inside her head. And so uh, it really showed me that you can be so much more than you were, quote, set up to be. Right. I want to ask you about your business, One Taste. What prompted you to start that? How did you get into it? And what were some of the challenges as you did that? Well, uh, that's a that's a several hour podcast right there. I'll give you the <laughs> headlines, though. Yeah. Um, I met an incredible woman named Nicole Daydone in uh, 1999 when I was uh, 29. And she just was really the most dynamic person I'd ever met in my entire life. And she said, I have this vision, a vision to create a place where people could talk about sexuality. Uh, This was, you know, like I said, 1999, and there was Vogue and all these magazines, and there was an underground uh, sex-positive world, but it really wasn't in the mainstream at all. And she's like, you can go places for mental health, you can go places for physical health, you, you know, there's all these 
um, outlets, but not many places to to talk about sexuality, which is so important and yet not part of the world conversation. Uh, she said that women uh, were not having the kind of sex and touch and attention they wanted. Men were trained to be production orientated and uh, not pay attention to women. So let's create a school. Let's create a place where we can do this. And I was like, okay. It really was like that. I was like, okay. And, um, <laughs> you know, naively threw myself in there, sold my house in San Francisco, dedicated my life to it. And uh, it was a long journey. Started in 2004, uh, didn't turn profitable until 2012. Uh, angels came in to help us. And, and uh, but 2012 is where things turned. But it was a long uh, eight to 10 year journey to take it from that paper napkin sketch to the eight figure business it is today. Wow. And I imagine through that, you learned a lot personally as well about your own sexuality and how to be authentic and how to be in touch with your partner and all that kind of thing. And do you still teach that sometimes? I'm sure you do through your coaching and some of your training. Tell us about that. Yes, completely. I mean, I was a I was a child born in 1970s and 80s. And so, you know, my sexuality was the John Hughes era, you know, like the 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 be the nice guy. The, and underneath that nice guy, there was a lot of anger. Um, and so being in one taste and learning from Nicole and being part of a sexual research community and teaching, you know, over 400 workshops in 10 years. Uh, taught me everything. It re-etch-a-sketched all my viewpoints around sexuality. And the women in the community would tell me the truth and be like, when you do this, it doesn't feel so good. I'm like, oh my God, I never knew that. So yes, everything shifted. Uh, in my world today, I, I'm focusing on my book, uh, Unhidden. Uh, and in that, there'll be definitely, uh, there's a whole section on how to treat a modern woman and sexuality will be a very big part of it. And I'm no longer teaching workshops at the moment, uh, focusing on coaching and writing in my podcast. Though I think after the book comes out, there'll definitely be a string of pod, of sorry workshops and sexuality will be a part of it. And why did you decide on the name Unhidden? Well, to give credit where credit's due, uh, my editor, uh, Kelly Notaris of KN Literary Arts, suggested it because I wrote I wrote a, um, a book proposal and in the overview, she said, you know, because I was going to call it Tough Love. And she says, you know, like this is good, but there's one line I really love. And she said, we live behind optimized uh, social media profiles. And she's like, that is awesome. And so we went back and forth and she's the one who came up with the word, the title Unhidden. And then I came up with a subtitle, uh, Unhidden, a book for men and those confused by them which is pretty much everyone, I think, these days. Yes. And um, so it was really a, a, a collaboration between the two. But the concept is is that we were taught to, to hide. We were taught that our authentic selves was not attractive and we should keep it down and withdrawn and only show it in very specific uh, moments. And I think that's the cancer in today's society. I think a lot of the the anger and the, the violence comes from this thought that you're not good. You have to hide who you are. So this book is an attempt to educate and give pragmatic advice on how to move from hidden to unhidden. 
Yeah, there is a lot of anger in today's society, that's for sure. And we see it, we see it in the public, we see it in the media, we see it one-on-one when we're talking with our friends. What would you say we can do to gradually rid ourselves, or not necessarily rid ourselves, but handle that anger in a better way, in a more mindful way? Well, the first thing to do uh, at a micro level with yourself is to do your internal investigation to figure out what's inside. I think a lot of us live with our anger and our toxic natures in our shadow. And what shadow simply means is that part of ourselves that we can't see. Uh, it's uh, the behavior stuff that we won't look at. So at a micro level, the the first step is to say, okay, I want to expand. I want to know myself. And once you discover anger, you can pull the thread to see where that hurt was. And like you uh, alluded to in the beginning, that often happened before you were eight. You know, and it happened right. when we were young. And so pull the thread of who you are. The second thing you can do or we can do is you can create a space for someone else to reveal themselves to live in a place of non-judgment and approval because we live in a society of disapproval, right? Everything is wrong. But if you can be that for another person to say, I want to know all of you, please, you know, let it be safe or I want to create a safe space for you. That is the greatest gift you can give someone to let themselves reveal themselves and be witnessed and doing so. I think it'll diffuse a lot of the inherent anger that lives in all of us. That's really great recommendation, Rob. I really appreciate that. Um, I want to talk about the subject of bullying because I've worked in that field mm. extensively. And, um, you know, that's an area where we can all carry wounds. We all carry baggage because of it for one reason or another. Do you have a story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a positive difference? Oh, so, so many. Uh, yeah. Bullying is something I'm very familiar with. Like I, I mentioned in the beginning, I was an overweight kid right. growing up, and I was bullied by my schoolmates. And, and the bullying ended about when I was 14 or 15, but really from maybe 10 or 9 to 15, six, for six very long years, especially for a child, I was bullied. My, my middle name is Barry, uh, and they would call me Barrier, and they would taunt me. Uh, for whatever reason kids do, um, they would just they there was some thing that happened where I was the object of their bullying. And in retrospect and uh, talking to a lot of people who have been bullied and a lot of bullies out there in the world, the main force, the reason they did that was fear and their own lack of disconnection. I know my opinion is bullying happens because they feel disconnected from their parents, from themselves. And there's some pain in there that needs to be expressed. And what they choose is to bully another kid rather than address their own pain. Right. So mindfulness would be for the parents to, to notice that about them kids or, you know, even the principal or school councils to notice that about kids and just sit with a bully and not shame them for being a bully, not shame them for, you know, what they do, but get curious and wonder and question and again, allow that space for that that bully kid to be seen and loved and approved of. And I think that is the cure for bullying is when we give someone space to to speak and relieve their own pain. I'm so glad you said allow that space because I, you know, I interview so many people and over and over and over that theme comes up, you know, mm-hmm. allow or, you know, some theme related to just let 
this happen. Give it space to let it happen, just like you've described. And uh, yeah, I absolutely agree with it, you that you you really need to give this space there. And uh, you know, you've you've worked with so many people in workshops, and and I've watched you on video hmm. doing some of your your talks and workshops. How do you like to start off with a group? How do you like to connect with them initially when you're first doing a workshop, Rob? It depends on the workshop. Um, so every workshop has its own flavor. I'll, I'll do things differently for a men-only workshop versus a co-ed. I've also worked um, not so much a full workshop with women, but I've, I've done women-only talks. And so the first thing is for me to connect and notice what the feeling of the room is and pay attention. Um, often before I go on, I'll sit in the back of the room and listen. I'll talk to people. And so it's called rapport. And it is the most powerful tool for a coach or a teacher to have. Because if you don't have rapport, you're speaking from your spot without being connected to your audience or your students. And often a lot of miscues and a lot of things you know, don't land when you don't have that rapport. So first it's building the rapport. And second, for me to build rapport, more often than not, I'll tell a story and I'll tell a story about my journey or how I landed. And some of my stories are really embarrassing, are really, you know, not pleasant to hear and they didn't pleasant to for me to live in. And from that challenging spot, my hero's journey started and uh, I went on a ride. And so I give to them my human side to say this is who I was. This is what I learned, and this is who I am now. And now it is my honor to give you what was given to me. It's my it's my privilege to pay, pay it forward. So when we're connecting with other people, how can we make sure that we're being authentic and think about the mistake we sometimes make, which is related to assuming? So many of us assume something about other people or situations or things like that. How can we prevent that? We all have judgments and stories. And I think we have a lot of shame about our own judgments. Uh, to me, you know, we're human beings. We have cortexes. We have histories. We have, we're meaning-making meaning machines. We're, we're actually incredible at creating these judgments. And so the first step really is to be aware of of what those judgments are again to bring the mindfulness into noticing so let's say you meet a new friend and their you know their shoes are really dirty or their fingernails are really dirty and all of a sudden you notice that and you're starting to realize you're making up a story based on that well obviously he's a slob or obviously he doesn't care about the way he looks rather than the fact that maybe he works in a garden, you know, like you don't know. Yeah. So yeah. just to be aware of that and then sometimes get curious and and ask the question to learn. You know, like, hey, I noticed your 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 hands are really dirty. Do you work in a garden? And they might be like, No, I actually work in a paint store. I don't know. The point is is that not to um, prejudge, not to to live in your story, but to use your judgments and noticings to build connection rather than disconnection. Right. I'm just wondering, Rob, what do you love to do in your life personally that helps you get connected with yourself? Yoga is probably my top uh, body-based experience. Um, I've had many, many, many years of yoga and stopping and starting, but I find that's really incredible. 
Um, I do a lot of um, walking, um, you know, not really hiking, but just like I love living living in cities and walking, listening to music or listening to a book and you know talking to myself. Um, I like my quiet time in the morning. Um, uh, my fiance will get up and take care of the kids. And I'll sit in bed and I'll look at my phone or I'll think about the day. Uh, I always tend to center myself before I get into motion. And I find it really helps. I'm a morning person, so it's easy for me to get up in the morning and uh, start uh, just like, okay, I'm up and I'm starting. And then to have that time to center has been uh, incredible practice for me. Rob, as we uh, head closer to the end of our interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. Okay. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Well, um, uh, I would say my students. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> if I, you know, like, I, like seven people popped in my head, but really my, my students um, have been the one because, and, and my children, because they've uh, had me look at places I didn't expect to look. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? I have them now, or I'm connected <laughs> to them now. You know, growing up, uh, I was emotions were secondary, and mindfulness has connected to me and my emotions. And my emotions are my power; they are my superpower, actually, because then I can feel and notice other people. Rob, how is breathing part of your mindfulness practice? I've done a lot of sitting meditation in my life and knowing the power of breath, also yoga, uh, you know, in the suffering of a hot yoga class, okay, find your breath. And my ability to pay attention to my breath connects me to my body and I can slow down and adjust and find the optimal pose. And if you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Hmm. Uh, when you sent me the questions, uh, the story that popped in my head was The Hero of a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. Um, and uh, it's not the easiest book to get through, but it is a powerful book in terms of it gives people reality of what they're going through on their own hero's journey. And it added a lot of sanity to me. So A Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. I really like Joseph Campbell. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? Um, I have an insight timer for meditation. Um, I use that uh, to just sit for five or ten minutes a day, which I don't do every day, I'll admit. But um, the insight timer was one that popped in my head. Yeah, that's a great app. So can you tell us a little bit about your meditation and what it looks like in your life? Uh, sometimes I'll just sit. Uh, um, I don't know if I officially do uh, sitting meditation, but I will often just sit in the quiet and let my mind wander and follow the threads of how I, I my thoughts and my viewpoints. I'm also I have a strategist mind, and so I'm often letting my mind create. Uh, I created a whole Indiegogo campaign in a yoga class because I allowed my mind to follow the thread of creating this, and that really helped my book proposal. So um, my mindfulness really is is allowing my thoughts and my big brain to uh, show me new things to figure out uh, how to connect the dots in my life. So uh, listening to those little voices are important too. They're just as important as the loud ones. And before we finish up, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that Indiegogo campaign that you've got going for your book. It actually uh, closed uh, about a week ago. Okay. Um, uh, the but it was a great experience because <laughs> I was in this yoga class and I was like I need one more thing you know you like yeah I need one more thing and then in that so I just threw myself 
all towards it. I made a video. I did the campaign by myself. I did uh, 25 stories called Nine at Nine of me sharing vulnerable stories uh, to promote it. And I raised 5,500 bucks. I, and that's 250 pre-sold books that I can offer my publisher. And so it was an incredible, uh, one of those little voices in my head of like, you have to do something. There's one more thing to do and listening to it. And what an incredible experience it was. And I will do a podcast on the experience of building it soon. Um, it, was a, it was a great thing. Well, I'm excited to follow you as you you go on this this uh, journey of creating your book on hidden. And tell us how we can connect with you and learn more about what you do, Rob. Everything you can find at toughlove.live. That's T-U-F-F love.live. My writing, my videos, um, my contact information to set up a free consultation for coaching. Uh, my podcast is all linked there. Uh, everything is is at toughlove.live. And all that we'll put into our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. Thank you so much, Rob, for being with us today. I really appreciate it. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for doing what you do. Yeah, you're welcome. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or episode number into the search bar. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen. Maybe it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Hit subscribe and share. Subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Subscribe and share, share, share. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.